Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right, so we're sitting here, and we're talking to Aaron Hepler. Aaron, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody listening? Hey, man, thanks for having me on tonight. Um, I'm Aaron Hepler. i uh born and raised Pennsylvania. Um, not really public land hunter my whole life, but it's uh, something I've gained a passion for over the last seven or eight years now. Um, but, uh, yeah. I'm a nurse is, uh, by day and under any other time. So, uh, I got to ask you, do you purposely work certain shifts so you can get more time to, uh, go bow hunting or hit do morning sits? So this like comes that? up on, yeah, this comes up on just about every podcast that I'm on. Cause nursing is probably as far as scheduling goes, probably one of the best jobs you can have as a, as a bow hunter. I do three 12 hour shifts a week. It's considered full time. I get the full time pay, full time benefits. Um, and my wife is a nurse too. So we kind of like, she works um, as needed. So she can kind of make her schedule. So we have somebody to put our daughter on and off the bus. You know, it's great. Nice. So, <laughs> so it just brings something to my mind that I thought of. And I actually. Apparently, I made the mistake of telling my wife, but I said, you know, a single guy that would be a nurse, he could really clean house, you know? <laughs> and that, sure. she goes, oh, have you thought about that much? And I go, no, it just popped in my head as we're walking along here in the hospital together. And <laughs> it was a mistake. Shouldn't have said it, apparently, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's probably, probably true, and that's probably how you met your wife, right? <laughs> uh, close. We lived in the same apartment complex, and... Um... She was actually getting ready to go to nursing school. Um, long story short, we were we hadn't seen each other for a couple of years and ran into each other and just kind of hit it off from there. So nice, very nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, public land hunting. Uh, how did I mean you? I talked to you a little bit earlier before we started the podcast, and 
you were kind of telling me, you know, you've been bow hunting or hunting at least a very long time, but, uh, up until recently, a few years ago, same as me, that was the first buck I ever killed on, on public land. So, uh, can we kind of talk about that and how that came about, why you chose to do that and kind of the, the struggle or the learning curve along the way? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've actually, I've, I have, I've bow hunted for 22 years. Um, you know, I grew up in a hunting family, but, uh, most of, most of my life we hunted either small private parcels or I did have permission on a, well, I still have, um, permission on a really good friend of mine, uh, on his farm. And I spent most of my time hunting with their family and my family, like, you know, like I said, five to seven acre parcels and just really learning a lot that way. I mean, I don't think it matters where you're learning about deer. They'll be different, but they all have the same things that you have to start out with learning the sign, learning some deer body language, learning just how to see them in the woods. Um, so I spent most, you know, up until, like I said, seven or eight years ago, I, I read some articles by the, um, by Tony, uh, Tony Peterson and, um, Dan Infall, of course, everybody loves the Dan Infall stuff and (laughs) the beasts. Um, so, you know, learned, learned a little bit about hunting beds and learned about, oh, you know, maybe there is some, everybody says there's no big bucks in Pennsylvania and there's no bucks to be had. And, you know, we've had an antler point restriction for quite a while and it's made a difference like hundred percent. So, um, a buddy and I, I, you know, sent some of these things to a buddy of mine and we're always like, ah. I don't know. We should try that. We should try that. And one year we just started scouting and hunting and it was kind of all trial and error from there. And one year we kind of just, things started to click a little bit. Like, let's go check out this clear cut. Let's go check out this swampy area. Let's go check out, you know, this different terrain. And we, we, uh, got a handful of good looking spots. And I remember one day, um, it was, uh, the end of October we had, um, I think a 15 degree drop in temperature and we're like, let's go to that spot tomorrow. We're going to kill one there. And, you know, you always have that enthusiasm when you go out on a hunt and then that goes away so fast. And I remember like sitting in the tree and he's seen a couple bucks and I'm not seeing anything. And the enthusiasm started to go away and then a buck grunted. And that was, you know, that was that buck, came in and we can talk about that story. I don't have to tell you the whole story here, but like, tell me the story. I, I want to hear it. <laughs> you want to hear it? Yeah. So it was a cool morning, man. We, um, we got in clean. It was a clear cut. Um, he went out onto the edge of a, end of a ridge point that the clear cut, um, butted up to. And, um, like I said, he was texting me, Oh, just had a six pointer at 15 yards. Oh, just, just busted a big eight pointer busted me. And, you know, I hadn't really seen anything. And what happened to me in the morning is I'd gotten in, I had a, I had a Hawk helium set at the time and I got in clean and whatever. But as soon as I sat down, you know, 10 minutes later, it was already getting light. And I remember, um, something started running circles around my tree. Like I was in a real tight area. I could only see 15 yards. And I don't know what it was. I think it was probably a doe, but it was running circles around this water hole and this little opening I was in. And then it just left. And I was like, well, that was weird. I thought maybe a doe, I don't know what, what the deal was. But then I heard something big coming and I'm like, oh, it's time. You know, I got my release on and got all knocked on, got stood up, got ready to go. And I'm thinking this giant buck's coming through the bushes and I'm watching the laurel bushes shake and I'm like, Oh man, here it comes. Here it comes. And a bear steps out from behind this laurel bush. And I'm like, Oh, that wasn't what I was hoping for. Cool. You know, bear. And I was thinking, Oh, I'm going to get my phone out and take a picture. Well, I'm sitting with it on a, in a tree that's roots touch a water hole. And the bear is drinking out of this water hole. And so he's all of like, I could spit on him, you know? And he goes around the edge of the water hole and I'm like getting my phone out to take a picture and he's walking towards my tree, like even closer to my tree. And I'm like, well, maybe that's not a good idea. And he put his paw on my tree and he put the other paw on my tree. And I'm like, you're, 
don't you dare even. <laughs> and I just, I kind of just, and he looked up at me and he barked and he ran. I was like, oh man, just almost had some company. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm probably not going to see any deer. You know, he stanked the area up or whatever. And that's kind of when I got to that, that low point, you know, in your hunt where you're all enthusiastic. And then it's kind of like, oh, well, it's nice. It's a great spot. Looks nice. I like it. Well, the reason I went there is because, like I said, it was, we had seen some on the private areas we had, uh, or just even watching deer in fields at night. We had seen, you know, that some bucks were starting to chase those a little bit. Well, with that temperature shift, it was, I think it was October 22nd. I shouldn't say, I think I know I'm kind of a nerd like that. I know it was October 22nd. Um, I thought, you know, this would be a good time for bucks to start, you know, kind of just checking things out a little bit. So the reason I sat there was, is cause it's still kind of warm. Like it was, you know, going to be a high of fifties, but the morning was, uh, I think in the low thirties and the day before the low was, uh, like almost 50. So it was, you know, pretty, pretty big drop in temperature. And I was like, well, this is the only where place that bucks can get water in this area. And this is a really good place to chase those. I know there's a lot of does here. We know that. So I, I kind of figured, oh, at some point they're going to come through here. So we get to about 8.30 in the morning. I hear a buck grunt and I grunt back at it and it comes, you know, not charging, but it's coming pretty quick down the hill. And I could see it would stop every now and then I'd see the tree sway because it was rubbing. And I remember watching this buck coming through the bushes and he's twisting his head to get through, you know, the saplings and the, and the clear cut I was sitting in. And he stopped behind a laurel bush for 45 minutes and was chewing his cud <laughs> and just scratching his back with his antlers. And really it was, so the cool thing for this story was it was the biggest buck I had ever been close to while hunting. Um, and I am, it's windy. I'm cold because my hands are all like I was getting ready to shoot. And I'm thinking, you know, he's, he's coming pretty quick. Well, he stood behind that laurel bush for 45 minutes and finally would take like a step at a time. And finally he, he took a couple more steps and I was able to get my bow drawn and I shot him at 12 yards. I double lunged him at 12 yards in this cut. And, um, I think he ran maybe 40 or 50 yards and, um, you know, I text my buddy, I'm like, I just shot a 10 pointer. I just shot a 10, you know, and that we, neither of us had shot a buck that big at the time. And like I said, that was my, that was my first buck with a bow after 22 years of bow hunting. And, uh, it was my first public land deer and it was, it was just a really, really awesome moment. So we, we ended up quartering the deer out and we're planning to pack it out. And I, we thought that, you know, we were going to try a bunch of different things and see what worked because we, you know, we never did it before, but we did the gutless method thing, got the, got everything. It went great. The, the quartering went great, put it in our game bags. And I put, I bought one of those like pack out vests. You ever see those? looks no. like a small game vest. It uh-huh. looks like a small game vest with a big pocket in the front and a big pocket in the back. Sounds horrible 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 idea because <laughs> all the weight is directly on your shoulders and it just flops around oh, oh it's terrible so i put that thing on and he, our idea was is well you i'll carry the deer and you carry all the gear so he was he tried to put two tree stands and oh, all our man. clothes in his pack and i put the deer in this carry vest and we made it i don't not even 100 yards and i was like I can't do this, dude. We got three miles to walk. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I don't don't think I can do it either. So we stored the meat. We're going to bring our gear back, get our packs, and and go back out and get it. So we got to the parking lot, and um, a game commission officer met us there. And he was like, oh, you know, check your licenses. And he was like, you guys seeing anything? And I was like, well, I shot a 10-pointer. And he was like, really? Where's it at? And I was like, well, I got to go back and get it. He was like, oh, I'll drive you back. So, so oh, our, uh, our pack out misfortune was, it was, uh, somebody was looking down cause 
he was, he drove me back and picked the deer up and, you know, picked the quarters up and he thought it was cool, you know, that we went back there and did it that way. He thought that was, he's like, you guys are doing it right. I don't mind helping people out when they're doing it right. So. Wow. Good story. I did yeah, was, not see it taking a turn that way. Normally uh, yeah. you hear about the negative experiences. It's good to hear a, a, a positive one like that. Normally the guy's going to be a jerk and be like, Oh, uh, did you leave evidence of this on it? Did you do that? You know, or at least here around here, it seems that way. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, well, um, me and my buddies, we try our best to always, I mean, if I break a rule, it was by accident, you know, like something I I really didn't mean to do. And, uh, actually keep in contact with that, that officer pretty often since then. Um, you know, we share pictures back and forth or, you know, Hey, how's it? Cause he hunts a lot with his kids and stuff. So it's kind of nice. Um, nice knowing those guys. That is, that's really cool. Yeah. I like to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of weird because whenever I run into any of the local ones that don't know me, they're like, oh, do you know this guy? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, he told me about you and you did this and that. And I'm like, yep. Cool. <laughs> so, that's awesome, yeah. man. So it's that's fun. a pretty it, cool first buck experience, you know? I mean, the first public land buck, I should say. And, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had shot a bunch with my gun up to that point um, on my buddy's farm. I had shot quite a few, but um, that was my first first bow buck. That's awesome. So yeah. my first bow buck wasn't on public land, but my first public land buck was pretty cool. And I think he's probably, he's, he's the biggest out of all the bucks I've ever shot, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, and he's nothing special or spectacular, but to me, you know, it's all that matters. It's, it's yeah, a nice absolutely. buck to me. It's the one uh, right there. But uh, Oh, nice. Yeah. So you know, I mean, no big deal there, but that's awesome. Awesome experience. Cool that you like made a friend out of the deal, you know, a new friend and uh, share that information that, you know, it was a positive experience. And I mean, it sounds like a memory that's kind of etched and burned into your, your mind for a lifetime. And that's kind of, you know, how my first public land experience like that was too. And um, last year I kind of got hung up though, and I wanted to chase one deer and hung a bunch of cameras and took a totally different approach than normal and instead of like hunting the sign right i i uh Mm -hmm. i decided to just hunt the buck and and Mm -hmm. try and predict his pattern and do all that kind of stuff and uh i feel like i actually missed the opportunity that i probably should have if i would have paid closer attention to the actual rut and things that were going on and the activity and uh the sign that was there already and the yeah. way they were hitting the scrapes and tearing them up and stuff. And uh, I kind of regret that now, you know, rather than just hunting the sign and, and playing the area and seeing what's going to come into me. I didn't do that. And uh, I feel like I jilted myself. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a hard toss. Um, that first buck, I didn't, I didn't own a trail camera when I shot that deer. Right. <laughs> Um, now I own, uh, probably more than I should. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I have like 30 cameras out right now, I think. And it's, that's the last a lot of work. That's, I think that's my, I think that's my limit. <laughs> Aren't they all cell cams um, though? I mean, come on. Chad can't hook yeah, you up. <laughs> yeah, all this, I'm, there's a good portion of them are cell, cell cams. Yeah. Cause yeah, Chad, Chad's a good guy. He, he takes care of me. That's good. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, no, you know, I, I kind of did the same thing you're talking about last year is um, I, I did, did kind of the same thing. I picked a couple bucks that I really liked and uh, a, a buddy in mine, uh, a different, a different, I mean, I hunt with all kinds of people. I'm kind of a butterfly, you know, That's all right. um, <laughs> the public land does it to you, man. Cause I'll tell you that story in a little bit, but um, we found an area that we really liked and we hung a couple cameras. I think, I think we only ran 10 cameras in that area last year. And, um, you know, we both had maybe two or three bucks made a list. Probably there was probably five or six that we liked total. And, um, we ended up hunting the end of October last year together. And, uh, I, I killed one of them and that was, that was cool. 
you know, you, then you get in that mentality. Well, if you do it once, you can do it again. And sometimes you get so glued into that one buck and it takes a lot of the fun out of it. Like you're, you know, yeah. kind of alluding to. <laughs> and although it's like a different kind of fun, if you do it too hard and too much and don't go do something else once in a while, like, you know, go to a different spot where he's not going to be at all, like different county. You got to do that just to like give yourself a little bit of a break from that because otherwise you're just, you kind of lose the, you know, reading the sign and figuring this out and figuring that out. You're just, you're so honed in that sometimes you, um, I think sometimes you miss things that he might be doing and you might've thought of it if you went to do something else and just took your mind off of it for a little while. Yeah. I mean, I did a little bit, like I went, uh, had an invite to, uh, a buddy's property, took a doe and then took another doe on a different piece of public land during gun season, you know? So, I mean, I took deer, it just wasn't, uh, wasn't the same as just trying to, you know, a little bit early, like a pre-rut, catching them running the scrapes or something like that, you know, where they're right. cruising and doing that. I was just fixated on that one. And especially when a trail camera tells you every other day he's coming through at one thirty or 2.30 in the afternoon, it's like, oh, I need to be there, you know. So, yeah. so this year, no cameras whatsoever, um, just just going to to hunt the moment, hunt the hot the hot sign and and see what happens. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a good mix of things to do with the cameras and without the cameras, you know? Yeah. Plus I feel like I've got, and that's the other thing too. Maybe it's just the cameras, you know, I'm going to come out and say, I don't have exoduses, but, um, there's been times where I know that buck passed by because he was at, you know, whatever 60 yards and there should have been a camera and was a camera there but there's no pictures of him. And yet I saw him when I was in the tree stand. So, yeah, you know, I right. mean, I don't know. Um, but so let's kind of talk about like with the upcoming rut and all that kind of stuff, what are some tax tactics you're utilizing for, you know, public ground right now and kind of strategizing to go forth and kill something in the rut? Yeah, man. So right now, uh, I would say that I'm really focused on what, what the weather the weather app that I use is like a 15 day forecast and that's a little excessive, but you, it's good to watch the trends. Cause then you can kind of pick up when, when one is actually going to be a cold front and when's one's not going to be a cold front. You know, like everybody talks about, it's pretty obvious, like cold days are the best days. Right. But, um, you know, just really watching the weather trends. And, um, if you are using cameras, what the wind, what the, what the, um, preferred movement wind is, you know, like, uh, right now I'm getting a lot of bucks on, um, like some kind of North wind, like most of the time, North, like a Northwest wind is their favorite. And they, they tend to come out a little later if it's from the South. And that's probably because maybe the temperatures are are a little bit warmer when it's a Southwest wind or versus, uh, you know, Northwest, but it seems that they're moving a little better right now on that type of thing. So I'm looking at that coming into the rut. And, um, you know, scrape week is coming up. So scrapes are huge. Um, most of the scrapes that I run cameras on or I've hunted, um, really start to pick up around the 14th or 15th of October. I'll start getting, um, uh, during shooting light pictures, I should, you know, um, where I could actually get into a stand and be there when that buck gets there or, you know, beat into that area. So the scrapes are, the scrapes are coming up um, in my strategy quite a bit. Yeah. I'm, that's kind of my plan earlier. And and here's, what's weird. Like last year too, I think they actually rutted, or at least by me, they rutted earlier than everybody was thinking. I think it actually happened. And I was just thinking it was like, I was thinking it was activity, like scrape activity and running around, but the running that was happening, I believe was actually an earlier rut which was kind of weird, uh, like the end of October type rut yeah. versus like the first or second week of no- November, like it typically is. I mean, it just, it all signs pointed towards that. And I didn't really pay that much attention to it. Yeah. I don't, you know, October is my favorite time. to. The rut is a great time. The first week in November, you will, if you're out, then you're, you're very likely going to have some very good sits and have a really good chance at some good encounters. And I think that's why, 
people get so keyed into taking their vacation time. Um, now, normally, I, I have a lot of vacation time in November, but it's because I took a whole bunch of time off to go elk hunting at the beginning of the month. So, um, but normally my vacation would start now and I'd have off for the next two weeks because I just, that that mid-October to end of October time frame is the time that I've seen the best, the the most consistent activity, the most comfortable bucks. And it's still, if you are targeting a specific buck, it's a really good time just to to hone in on that because he hasn't like moved into a, um, an area where he, he hasn't been led away by a doe just yet, you know? Yeah. He's still cruising, checking, especially those scrapes. Like we're talking about. I mean, yeah, that that's what 100%. I find. They're really cruising and that, I mean, I had him predicted to the point to where he would, uh, I mean, it, it was almost every other day exact and he was cruising through and he'd hit them you know, within a three hour window. So, I mean, that's pretty consistent. Yeah. The problem was, is getting on them with the right wind and being able to utilize that, um, just didn't really always pan out the way I wanted to. So, you know, right. so what's the weather app you're using that you're using a 15 day uh, forecast? Uh, I just use the AccuWeather, the AccuWeather app. And it actually, for my area, it's actually, uh, I don't, I don't want to jinx it, but it's actually usually pretty accurate, surprisingly. Yeah, well, that's pretty good. I use AccuWeather, yeah. and sometimes I'll plug into some other stuff. And then I utilize uh, on BaseMap itself, on the app, um, they've got where I don't even know where it actually pulls the weather from, but that's pretty accurate, too. And then the cool part is is I'll look at the five-day wind stuff that, that shows up on there, and then I'll yeah. use the slider and do, like, the 24-hour to see how it's going to shift. And then I can try and at least in my head plan and strategize for, you know, where I'm going to set up or try and ambush if I know the area well enough. I go on, I do that. um, I forget what website. I look at some historical wind patterns. I don't, if it's like a USGS thing, I don't remember what website it is. You just have to Google it, but I will look at like historical wind patterns too. Like if I'm planning, like, uh, this is kind of what I should focus on for earlier part of the season. And what's the wind predominant wind at that time? Cause it'll give you percentages. Like it'll give you a circle with different bars that tell you that a percentage of, um, wind direction for your, that area, that particular area. Um, but I, you know, for example, next week we have, um, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, are going to be in the low thirties in the morning. And I think uh, Sunday will be the low is like 40, 40 something, 45, I think. So Monday and Tuesday are going to have some right, light rain into the morning and then kind of break into just clouds and sun. So kind of post frontal conditions. And that's a really good time to be hunting scrapes because, you know, the bucks are the bucks come out and they freshen them. Um, after a light rain like that, they want to check them out, get them, get them stanky again and stuff, you know. I never thought about that for actually utilizing, you know, the rain to, to try and catch a buck on them. That's uh, actually something I've never even thought of that. They, that's when they freshen them up. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've seen it a few times. So um, a couple of years ago um, I got on a scrape like that and had a 128, 120 ish eight pointer come in and, he ended up busting me because I left my frame pack on the ground and my frame pack still had a tag, like a factory tag on it. And it was blowing in the wind and it <laughs> did one of these and he spooked. Um, but that was a day he was actually coming to check a, um, he was actually freshening up scrapes and he was out late because of it. Right. Uh, it was, I think it was October 16th and it was, um, it was a colder morning because of the rain and he was, I, I, I would have thought I, it was, I think it was 10 30 in the morning. So I would have thought that deer would be betting at that point in time, but I think he was just taking his time, checking all these scrapes that he had. Uh, it was a pretty good scrape line. And, um, he came to freshen a scrape and busted me while I was at full draw. So that was a heartbreaker. But. Yeah, for sure. So do you, uh, do you, do an all day sit in October or is it more of a kind of hunt the whole day, but get down, move. What are, what are you doing? If I'm, if I'm hunting a whole day, usually I move spots. 
Um, that particular day, I think the plan was, was to sit until 1230 just because it was, uh, colder like that. And the guy that I was hunting with that day was seeing does and smaller bucks all morning. Like they were just moving constantly. Sometimes those are fun mornings. They are, they are fun mornings. No, I hadn't, I didn't see anything except for that buck. So I almost fell out of my stand when I saw him coming. You You don't. You don't really expect that, but that's one thing about, um, those bigger bucks is like a lot of times where they're living, you're not going to see a whole lot of other deer. You know, there's a reason they live there and it's cause they, they don't want to be found. So an easy way for them to get found is a whole lot of sign. And I'm not, I'm not saying deer know the difference of like, Oh, there's a lot of signs. So a hunter can find me here, but, um, it's probably more like People see that area, people find the sign, people frequent the sign, big buck stays away from the sign. So, um, but yeah, those are fun mornings like that. So, yeah, yeah. I just like, if, if I don't kill a deer, that's fine. Obviously, if you're hunting a bigger deer, you're not going to, like you said, you're not going to see that much, but sometimes just, just having that activity, you know, knowing that, that the deer are there and you're watching them and could take them, but you don't. Kind of, it's satisfying, yeah. you know, it's like, it oh, ignite, yeah. ignites that predator instinct in you and like, haha, I didn't get busted and there was 12 of them. Exactly. Them, but, you know, so exactly. <laughs> it, it helps like reinforce your, your fundamentals anyway that like, okay, I know I was high enough or I was camouflaged enough in the tree or, you know, with whatever that they looked right up and never saw me or, you know, the wind is blowing in just the right direction and my entry and exit was good you know all those things so yeah i like doing that for sure um so like your plan pretty much scrapes you doing anything to these scrapes are you uh freshening them up putting anything in them or peeing in them (laughs) yeah i'll do that i'll pee in them um usually when i hang the cameras but these are like these are pretty well established when you so I do like the lot, you know, I do a lot of po- like this postseason. I think I hiked 180 something odd miles, um, during the spring. And I always do my best to find two or three scrape lines. And when you find those looking branches that have just their oiled up ends and you can tell they're just kind of weathered over years, those are the really good ones. It's really not about the scrape. It's almost more about the licking branch. Um, so no, I'll find ones that, that I think have a lot of other historical sign around them, maybe older rubs. Um, and like I said, like a just tattered looking branch and, um, trying really taking an educated guess on, Hey, this is a, this is a pretty annual scrape line. So you don't really have to doctor those up too much. You know, you might, you might get some more summertime activity if you, you know, put, um, put some nice uh, orbital stuff on the licking branch and, um, you know, pee in the scrape or whatever, but, um, I don't really care about attracting the deer. I want to know what the deer is going to do when it's just doing its own thing. Um, so that's kind of how I, you know, I'll kick them open a little bit here and there. Cause I think they like the, the, the smell of that fresh earth or whatever. Um, but no, normally I'm I'm kind of just going all natural when it comes to the, yeah. the scrape line thing. Sometimes yeah. in my head, and I don't know if it's true or not, but like, say you put in, you know, uh, three deer, you know, buck urine or something like that, a synthetic in there. So it mm-hmm. lasts a real long time. But, you know, then that buck's like, who's this? Somebody else is coming into my scrape? I don't know this guy. And in my mind, yeah. it makes me think that that buck is going to come there more often or check on it and try and catch this this other buck probably not true but you know that's how it plays out in my mind you know as far as scent control pursuing wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment when you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. 
Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. And and using different things. I think it's really what, what all makes you confident. Like, I, it's probably more superstition, but um, I like to carry a bottle of... Uh, not a bottle, but like an aerosol can of uh, dead downwind. And when I get up in my tree, I spray myself off a little bit and then spray it the way the wind's blowing. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think it does anything. I just think oh. it makes me feel good. Right. Do you actually like have a scent control routine that you utilize pretty religiously or is it? Uh... Um, no, nah, you know, I like I wash my clothes and in the, in the sometimes i just use arm and hammer if i'm going to be completely honest whatever is unscented yep that's what I and do. then um i i have an ozone closet um half the reason i have it is because you don't have to wash your clothes as much because honestly like it's supposed to kill bacteria and it takes away the nasty smells out of the clothes so uh, you know it does give your camouflage a little bit more life so it's kind of nice so what kind of um, nasty smells do you get in your clothes? Cause like, I mean, I'll even wear, cause I'll wear Merino and for like my base layers and stuff. And I'm going to be honest, I wash them maybe, maybe twice the whole season, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so anything, anything that's synthetic gets so, I, I stank it up real yeah. bad, real bad. Um, like I said, I was, I, uh, was elk hunting two weeks ago and, um, I, I debated on throwing a couple things out. <laughs> You did drop a nice elk, by the way. I did. Thank you. Congrats on that. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Um, But yeah, so that's like kind of why I got away from the whole synthetic thing, especially for, you know, like underwear or base layer. I just don't, I don't do it anymore. Um, And I found that, you know, even if it does have a little funk, like I'll hang it up in, in my little area or I will put it in like a bag or a tub, Rubbermaid tub. and The scent completely goes away. After like, I don't know, eight, 10 hours, it's gone. Yeah, the, Merino, I don't the, know what it does, but it, uh, it works yeah. pretty well. The Merino is cool stuff. Um, but like I said, the, the ozone closet for me is just, I don't know. It was a gift. So that was nice, but, um, it's a good place to store it. It's a good place to try to, you know, I'll run that every now and then, um, during the off season and get some like musty smells out and stuff like that too. So, yeah. And it is, it is, honestly, too, it's like I put my boots in there. Um, it's good for your boots, whatever, that kind of thing, too. I see you rolling with um, the Krispies. So. I, I just bought them, and they're amazing. I, so, I probably would have broke my neck a few times. I have gone through about six different pairs of boots. And I know everybody's foot is different, so it doesn't really make sense that everybody can wear a pair of Krispies and they're the greatest boots in the world. But I will say, like, Zamberlin's wanted to wear them too tight, too narrow. I've got, like, mm-hmm. a wide wide toes and a real narrow yeah. heel. And for me, Krispies, yeah. out of the box, pull them, put them on, zero break-in, awesome boots. It's, like, my second season wearing them now, plus, like, a summertime of hiking and scouting and stuff. Yeah. Uh, just <laughs> freaking awesome. Plus... Like I'll I'll just wear boot covers. I wear those all season long and a merino sock. Um, yeah, and really until the temps dip, you know, into the like low teens, I don't even wear a thick merino sock. I wear like a real light uh, merino sock, and then just right. put a boot cover over it. And man, those will those will keep you through most of the season. Yeah, I um, I so this is my first season with them, but I'll a hundred percent agree with you because I bought them and wore them for a mile long hike before I went elk hunting with them. So in my opinion, zero break in needed for them, you know? Um, I don't know. Normally I just wear whatever, like I usually wear like Keens or whatever's on sale, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and actually like Keens work fine. Like they're, they're nice in the saddle. You know, it's, it's better than a pair of rubber boots by a long shot. Doesn't matter what kind of rubber boots you're wearing. Climbing sticks. And rubber boots do not get along, especially nope. when it's wet. Um, yep. I've learned that the hard way. And yep. honestly, rubber boots don't breathe enough for me. And I nope. found that they just make my foot cold. 
And I don't care. And then, so then you say you've got X amount of insulation in them. Oh, I've got 2,500 grams of insulation. Well, now your foot's going to be sweating the whole way you walk in. That rubber's trapping it into that insulation. And now you've got a freezing cold foot anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. To me, the lightest, you know, weight that I can get away with and then just put a cover over it. And then those, like, I hate to admit it because they're not made in America, but those Arctic Shield boot covers. They're freaking great. You know, um, I haven't used them and I haven't used this tip, but I'm going to share this tip because you probably already heard it. But um, wool sock. uh, Yeah. Yeah. The the Byron Horton wool sock thing. Uh, Do you know? So Cameron from from Exodus, uh, Cameron Durr, he is uh, he's their gear. He's their gear guy. Like he knows every like everybody's things and what they use and you know, different packs and sticks and all that stuff. And he's a, uh, he's a swear by the, um, put a wool sock over the toe box thing. And I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And not even just like, so you put it over the toe box or whatever. If you got big enough ones, you could put it over most of your boot. Cause I mean, yeah. eventually that arch is going to get cold too. Not as much, but like yep. it'll get cold, especially when that stand is there. And at that point you might as well switch it over to a boot cover. I feel like, but like, this time of year, even when you dip down into like the twenties or it's, you know, yeah. teens in the morning and twenties later on, you know, after an hour yeah. to a sunlight, I think that's perfect. The, the wool mm-hmm. sock. Well, I'll, they also, you know, like you buy those, uh, the toe warmers, but if you put those in your boots, they don't breathe. Well, they need to breathe to, mm-hmm. so they need I to actually, breathe to work real cold temps when you're getting like sub zero temps and stuff, I'll mm-hmm. throw, I'll throw just hand warmers, regular hand warmers in, in those boot covers. And then it's still an uninsulated boot that I'm wearing and my feet are toasty. They're not hot enough. They're sweating, but they're warm for an all day. Well, I shouldn't say an all day sit. I'd say probably eight of the 10 hours you're there. You're pretty warm. And by the time the evening darkness starts creeping in, you know, and the sun's setting, uh, right. That's when you're like, Oh man, my toes are cold again, but they weren't cold the rest of the day so it's not too bad you know right for sure um the uh the other thing like i said they uh they just slip in hand warmers underneath the sock instead of using the toe warmers so and apparently that works pretty well yeah that's i use the hand warmers i'd throw them in the covers but uh yeah yeah. i've dropped them once and (laughs) and debated whether or not i should climb down and get them you know (laughs) Um, that's one of the things it's like, oh man, I only brought one hand warmer, you know, for my yeah. boot, but no, that's, that's definitely the way to go is doing that with a lighter boot for sure. What about packs? What are they like? What are you hearing? I, I utilize a full frame pack and we'll never go back. Yeah. I, um, I use a QU. I did use an 1850, but when you're packing out an an animal, it's a little bit tough with the small pack like that. So um, I use I just bought the 1800 bag for the frame system that they have. Um, my other buddy that I that I hunt with, if I wasn't already invested in QU, I'd probably switch to. I really like that he has a QFRU pack. Initial that's, set. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. That's... It's it's pretty set up for whitetails with that yeah. meat shelf and stuff. Um, yeah. If that's if that's what you're doing. Um, if that's what you're doing with your deer is packing it out, that's kind of the way to go. Um, but really like, as far as the room in the pack goes, it's really to, to pack my clothes in and, you know, pack them back out or whatever. Um, I don't wear my saddle in just because I want to get it all ripped up and all the stuff I walk through. So, um, yep. it's usually inside my pack. I put that right in the top of the pack. As soon as I take the pack yep. off, saddle goes out of the pack put it on and then a little bit towards the end of last year i uh, actually designed a product that goes on my climbing sticks and utilized it to where i took them off and uh just strapped them into the molly webbing on my pack and then i could climb up and just reach back because i don't like stuff on the saddle i find that like it just makes it sag while you're trying to climb and then everything's you know lineman belt and i just don't like it so I eliminated yeah. that and then uh, created a, a a clip that goes on the actual platform too. So now I can clip oh, that nice. 
on my kidney belt, my pack, and then everything yeah. else is like right behind me to where I can just reach nice. back, pull that off and, uh, and just stick them on the tree as I'm doing that. <clears throat> so that yeah. like, it changed things. It made it a lot easier. I, you know what I was going to do this year was, um, I was going to attempt the, uh, the one sticking thing. Cause the one guy I hunt with, it's just, he's, he's a wizard at it, man. He can go go up that tree in two minutes. Um, but uh, I got all the stuff for it, and I just didn't get to practice. For me, I like to practice getting in and out. I don't like to go in in the dark and try to be guessing things, you know. Um, I also don't want to fall on my ass, and <laughs> so um, <laughs> so I usually I'm usually trying to practice that thing, and I just I just I try it maybe two or three times, and I'll probably probably I'm gonna keep working at it. I have the stuff to do it, so. Um, I modified one of my sticks. I cut it down. I cut it like half. I, I use Hawk sticks, um, just because, uh, I haven't upgraded. So, yeah, no, I know. Um, I know that feeling. I did them for two seasons and then finally I broke down and I got myself some timber ninjas and that was like yeah. the coolest thing in the world that I've ever done. So, <laughs> right. And like, you know, I, the, the elk hunt I went on, I, we had been planning that for two years cause we had to buy points and this and that. So like, it's kind of, you know, just buying stuff up for that. So you kind of chew your budget up and it's like, well, I already have sticks, so I don't, I don't really need to buy new sticks right. yet. So, um, but actually I, I cut, I have the old version of Hawk stick. So I had put on a lone wolf, um, the, uh, the Versa button on them a while back. And I used that Versa strap from tethered, which is horrible. Because <laughs> the straps, it's great concept, but the straps just get like the flatness of them. They just twist together, and they get you can't. You're always fingers are cold, and you can't separate separate them to open the loop. It's mm-hmm. a pain in the butt. So I um I got Amsteel Daisy chains, which are great because they just slip right over that thing. They're awesome. So I got to tell um, you, if if you like the Daisy chain for the mm-hmm. Amsteel even better a one-up you amsteel sam the amsteel guy he makes the usa attachment so it's got a prusik on one end and then it's got a loop on the other end so you put the loop on your versa button put the prusik on and 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 then you reef it tight and then just set your stick and it's done oh that's nice that's almost like a buckle that's That's like it's but it's quiet right and lightweight and just yeah it's amazing that's what i've been rolling with and uh Dude, well, I'll even taking never off, go back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even taking off the buckles off your sticks is three of those buckles weigh weigh a little over a pound, and it, it makes a difference once you start taking a pound here and there off. I still use the uh, the, the buckle only for my platform, but yeah, um, I use I a, use the buckle for my platform as well. But I use a buckle cover on it, and that was a game changer. So it's a three D yeah. printed little buckle cover that goes on it, slides over it, like but DIY, rubber, yeah. yeah. DIY yeah. 3D print or DIY bow hunting, the 3D printing that he does. And yeah, uh, dude, that thing, it's awesome yeah, because now it doesn't cool. clang around. So that's pretty cool too. Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I did that, but then when I modified the stick that I was going to use for one sticking, I, I cut that old Hawk stick in half cause those are 32 inch sticks. So I cut that thing in half and, um, I put a, uh, a cam, a cam cleat on it and, I um I uh made my own am steel rope to go around that and that I, I put a little th- uh two step aider on it and that that worked kind of nice. I'm probably going to actually just do that to the other sticks and just use um cuz normally I I use three sticks. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not stretch arm strong when I'm going up the tree so I don't I got short legs, you know. I'm 6 feet tall but I got I got little, little legs. <laughs> I'm all torso. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, I, I, I probably will end up cutting the other two down. Cause I really like, I really like how that one fits in the pack and you, you know, I like the aider. It's easy to climb with. Um, once you get used to it, you know, you have to keep your toe against the tree or whatever you go flying out the side of the tree. But, um, yeah, I usually use that as my first stick and then I'm up two other sticks after that. But yeah. Um I forget where we're going with that. 
Oh, so the guy that the guy the that I um, <laughs> yeah the the one sticking guy he's a wizard. So I was gonna try that, but um again didn't really get to practice that. But um you know I don't want to get too far off topic because we're kind of on a roll. But that dude has taught me a lot about hunting, and um, I told you how we kind of found an area that we liked and we. Uh, hung a bunch of cameras there last year and that's how I killed my buck last year. But the one cool thing that I will say as a random note, um, on public land is I met that guy on that piece of public land where we were hunting those bucks two years ago. And we're like very good buddies, you know? So tell me that um, story. I got to hear that. Uh, so I, I guess, I think we probably followed each other on Instagram and um i remember seeing pictures of his bike on instagram and being like oh boy this guy's and i he was posting pictures of the maps places he was hunting and i'm like dude what are you doing you know and um i remember he posted a youtube video of this buck and i'm like don't don't do that don't do that you know and the map of where it was and everything and i'm like what and he messaged me a question or something on Instagram and, you know, ended by saying like, oh, maybe we'll run into each other someday. And three days later, I'm out shed hunting on a Saturday <laughs> and found a couple nice sheds and found, found ultimately the stuff that um, I found the spot that I killed my buck in last year at that. I think it was March, end of March or April, early April. And um, I'm riding my bike out and I see his bike and I'm like, oh, I guess that guy hunts here. So I'm riding my bike out and um, next thing you know, I hear this guy zooming up behind me and he's like, hey, hey, how's it going? I'm like, (laughs) oh, hey we're in the midst of COVID we're all, you know, where everybody was like, I don't know what this stuff is, you know? And, um, I told you I'm a nurse, so I'm not, that doesn't, doesn't really bug me all that much. And it obviously didn't bug him. So I was like, all right, well (laughs) chat, chat with this guy on the way out. So we're like, you know, swapping stuff. And I'm like, well, I didn't tell him about the sheds in my backpack. I can't tell him all that. He's like, did you find any? I was like, ah, you know, I found one. It was okay. You know? (laughs) He's like, oh, I just found this little one. He had like a little one on his backpack. And we're, you know, trading stories. And we, so we rode out, I don't know, two, two and a half, three miles. I don't know what it was. We talked the whole way. We got back to the trucks and we were talking for another half hour or so. And we're like, well, exchange numbers and whatever. And um, he was like, so you really didn't find any sheds out there? And I was like, all right. Well, we've been talking for, I found three and I like brought them out and they're there. They were nice. They were like 52 inch, couple 52 inch sheds. And he's like, Oh man, you know, where'd you find those? <laughs> and we ended up sharing our track and I don't know how we didn't run into each other in the woods. Cause we were only like 50 yards apart almost the entire time, but it was windy that day. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. But, um, you know, we ended up swapping, numbers and every now and then we would text each other but it started to get more as the season came along and we're like oh why don't we just go hang cameras together and i think in june we started hanging cameras together and you know all then it was all the cell cam pictures and sd card pulls that were turning out great and we're like oh look at this buck look at that buck and he had filmed a really good buck where we were hunting and um didn't get a he was like full draw on the thing and never it, he, it never gave him a shot and we ended up getting that buck back on camera and hunted him a lot last year and um so that was cool you know um we really hit it off and uh you know at this point we've we've hunted together quite quite a few times and he was there to help me pack out the one that i shot last year and that was you know i had two buddies with me at the time but um you know that was kind of a really a really cool moment where we worked really hard at finding a specific 
not a specific deer, but you know, on a list of specific deer, we, um, we were able to get one of them and we were really, really excited about that. So that was cool. Um, so this year we kind of overdid it and there's, I think there's 25 cameras in that area. Cause he really wanted to find <laughs> that one buck. <laughs> I think he's dead. I'm not going to lie. That's we casting get a wide of him. net. <laughs> yeah. We got pictures of him. There's a, I actually met somebody else randomly um, uh, on public and he sent, he sent me some pictures of what do you think about this deer? And I was like, Oh yeah, that deer. It's like, I know that deer. And it ended up being not very far from, not very far from one of our spots, but, um, uh, you know, it was alive after the rifle season. So I kind of assumed it would be alive this year, but we haven't had him on camera yet. So hmm. we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you got a pretty wide net, maybe. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, oddly enough, there are, you know, those cameras spread out over probably, probably three quarters of a mile, maybe. And oddly enough, we get almost all the same bucks on most of them. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. I've never put out more than a couple cameras. I don't know. I've never done the whole, Hey, let's put 10 cameras in one area. See what happens type thing, you know? Honestly, I would say if you're if you're gonna do a big area, um, you probably don't need more than ten to to figure a deer out. Um, you know, we had a pretty good grasp on it last year, and I wouldn't say that adding more cameras really made a difference. Um, other than that, we now get a lot of pictures. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and there's it it the area is chock full of deer, so it's a lot of pictures to go through. There's a lot of does in the area because it's 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 far in and stuff and people aren't killing does out there. Um you know, until the gun season they might, you know, get get a group of guys that go and shoot a bunch. But so there's, you know, quite a few deer and bears and that kind of thing. So do you ever get a bear tag? Do you ever do that? It's a fall yeah thing, I get a fall thing, right? Yeah, I get a bear tag every year. Um, of course I never run into the bears when, um, the season opens Our actually our bow season for bears. We have a muzzleloader season too. Well, a flintlock season opens up, um, next week or, uh, on Saturday rather. Um, so yeah, I always get a bear tag just cause you know, the time that that bear almost climbed my tree, I didn't have a bear tag. I guess it would have been bear season then. So, I don't think they had an archery bear season does, at that time. Does bear so. season like overlap or coincide with some of our, the archery season though? So like you are yeah. able to to shoot a bear with a with a bow during deer yeah. season? Yeah, so our bear season, our archery bear opens on Saturday and it's open until November 15th. Nice. And you guys so aren't allowed to bait, right? No, that's yeah. the one difficult thing about pa bears they're yeah. <laughs> pretty strict on the, Which, on the stuff with bears that's fine if that's the way they want to do it but do they allow dogs or no Mm-mm. yeah see okay yeah so it just makes it that no, much tougher so it's it's worth it when yeah. you get it right you know it's oh that, yeah that struggle yeah i shot one at a friend's uh at a private on um, private uh a couple years ago as my first bear i shot in the rifle season Traditionally, our rifle season was four days. Like it would be the, uh, you can't hunt Sundays in PA. So it was um, Saturday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before our gun season opener. And I think the bow season just started three years ago. So that's that's a new thing for PA. Um, so that was a thing. Like everybody would go up to, to deer camp the week before to hunt bears and you know, that kind of thing. So that's pretty cool though. I wish we yeah. had bears around here to hunt. So Midwest, no bears yeah. down low, no bears, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it's cool. There's, there's quite, I get, we get lots and lots of bears on camera. No, that's awesome. So, yeah. um, one of the things before we go here, it's been awesome talking to you. Um, but, uh, where can people find you and find the articles you've, uh, written and, uh, all that cool stuff. Yeah, so I've um I've really had the great opportunity to write for uh, Exodus Outdoor Gear. So check them out. They're um, you know, everybody knows them for their trail cameras, but 
they have custom arrows now, so you need to check them out because they hmm. they are very legit. Great, uh, you know, they're Exodus really prides himself in their customer service, and and it goes from their trail cameras right to their arrows because they really do a great job with them. And um, you know, I shot my elk with with uh, one of those arrows, and they're I've really had no tuning issues with them at all, and not there there's not a flyer arrow in a in a bunch of them so nice um so yeah you can find me at um some blog writing at exodus outdoor gear and um the truth from the stand uh and most recently um i've been writing for afflictor broadheads as well cool man uh amen so thank you so much for coming on thank you for sharing uh tips uh definitely learned some stuff about uh some scrape stuff and freshening them up for sure. That's something I'm going to keep, keep in mind when I'm looking at the weather and thinking over the next couple of weeks here, especially as I really start cruising them. That's uh, definitely an awesome tip, man. So I appreciate it. And thank you for coming on. Thanks, man. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.